Welcome to another sermon from New Bethel Baptist Church. I hope that this sermon will help you to better know who God is, challenge you to grow in your faith, and compel you to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. In Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from, our, from God our Father. We, thank, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed the, the whole world it is bearing fruit and is in, and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our fellow, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made to us, made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we have heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you'll be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You this morning as we uh, just turn to Your Word, as we look at this, this letter, this message to the Colossians. Lord, I pray that You would help us to reflect on our lives, help us to look at who we are and to see what we can do, what we need to do to learn from what we see in this passage today. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to be convicted. You'll pr- help us to each know ourselves and to know where we need to grow and help us to see what you would say to us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we look at this, we remember and, and know that Paul wrote many letters to these churches. And the purpose of these letters was to encourage them, to build them up, to let him know of, and this is always how he just pretty much always starts them, is how he's thankful for them, how he's praying for them. And so that's how he starts many ways, talking about how he's thankful and how he's praying for them. And so he's reaching and talking to a church that he's not really been, with, been to or involved with physically himself, but he's heard of them, he's heard of their faith. But one of the things that we see talked about a lot in this passage. One of the phrases that we see is the gospel, and it's talked about, and obviously, if we're looking at the Bible, or especially the New Testament, the gospel is front and center in what we believe and what they're going to be concerned with. And so as we talk about this passage, Paul is talking about the ways the gospel is impacting their life, his relationship with them, and the way that he's praying for them. And those are what we're going to get to today. But before we do that, I never want us as a church or as individuals to take the gospel for granted. We cannot take the gospel for granted in our life. We know it, right? Many of you have been a Christian for the majority of your life. You may not even be able to remember a time before you were in church hearing the good news of Jesus. And you maybe you remember being at a young age. I was, I was in VBS when I remember hearing the gospel. I don't remember a time where I wasn't in church because I was in church from the time I was born. But that being the case, it can be easy to know, I know the gospel. I've been saved. I believe the gospel. Even if we have known the gospel for decades, one of the most important things we can do is to preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. 
to remember the good news of what's been done for us. Because Paul is concerned with the gospel in this passage. And so if we want to know what he's talking about, if we want to feel the, the full effects of what he's talking about, we have to remind ourselves of the gospel in our lives. And he really sums it up at the end of this passage. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Probably the most important thing I think that we forget, I talked with our youth about this in Sunday school, we forget exactly what God has saved us from. He has saved us from the dominion of darkness, from from the punishment that comes because of our sin, the sinful things we do. And and we talked about how oftentimes when when you're younger, you have your parents telling you about things you shouldn't do. And every probably one of us at some point in our life had our parents or an authority figure tell us something we shouldn't do that we did, and then afterward we figured out why we shouldn't have done what they told us not to do. Right? You ever been told, hey, don't pet that cat? We had a cat that was the most affectionate cat, Siamese blue eyes, beautiful cat. And it was very friendly until it wasn't. And then it would bite you and run away. And that's what it would do. And so every person that came over, it would purr, rub up against your leg. We said, listen, do not pet the cat. They're like, it's so nice, it'll be fine. And then they get bit. They didn't listen. Right? And it's after the punishment, after the consequence, that you realize. And so the next time those people came over, they said, get away from me, cat. I don't want anything to do with you. Because I know what's going to happen if I mess with you. It's the same way with many things in our lives. The difference with the gospel is that the punishment, the consequence for our sin, largely, other than the consequences that we experience in this life, is in the future. It is yet to be experienced. When we believe in Christ, we, are, we know that the wages of sin is death. It's separation from God. It is punishment in hell. We know that. We hear that. But we're not experiencing it. We're not in anguish because of it. It's only when we understand and comprehend what is to come that we are able to turn from, to turn from our ways. But the, the, the negative aspect of that, the thing that, we, that, that happens is we don't have that pain to remind us of what we've been saved of. We haven't experienced hell to realize how wonderful what Christ has done is, but we have an account of it. You think of the rich young man, or the rich man and Lazarus, and they both die, and Lazarus is in heaven with God, and, and, and the rich man is in hell. And he says, let him just bring a drop of water to quench me. Send him back to warn my family so they won't come here. What we have been saved of is beyond our comprehension. What we have been been saved of, this dominion of darkness, the punishment from our sin, is so great. What the wages of sin, what it brings, the destruction, the, the separation from God, is something we would never want to experience. It is the ultimate negative thing we can think of. Beyond our imagination. And so we have to remember that because of our sin, because of what we have earned, that was our fate. And if you don't know Christ this morning, that is your fate. It's the fate of all people. All people have sinned. But we have to remind ourselves of this because when we realize, and then we think, that was what was coming for me, but Christ stepped in. 
It says he has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. And so instead of earning, getting what we deserved and have earned, punishment, separation from God, God has qualified us, justified us, if we've believed in Christ who bore our sin to the cross, died in our place so that we could be forgiven and made right with God so that our inheritance isn't what we've earned, but is the righteousness that's available in Christ. And so through Him we have redemption being made new, the forgiveness of our sins. And it's so important that we think about this because it's so easy to forget, to live our lives enjoying the, the benefits and the promise that Christ has given, given us without thinking of what truly He has saved us from. Because when we think about what He saved us from, it will motivate us to be humble before our God and to be obedient to Him and to be thankful to Him because what He has saved us from is something we could never have done on our own. We have to preach the gospel to ourselves at all times if we want to follow God in obedience. So that's the gospel. That is what the gospel is, the good news that Jesus Christ has saved us when we cannot save ourselves. And instead of punishment that we deserve, we've been given eternal life with God because of what Christ has done for us. If we will believe, we will admit our sin, we will believe in what Christ has done, and we will confess Him as our Lord and Savior. So that is the gospel that we're dealing with. That is the gospel he's talking about in this passage. And the first thing we see, one of the things we need to focus on here, is that the gospel is like a seed. He's referencing what Christ said in this passage. In this passage, we see where he talks about the gospel bearing fruit and increasing. Since we've heard of your faith in the Lord, that's in verse 4, the Lord Christ, your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you've heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So the gospel is being spread all throughout the world at this point. There are people, not just Paul, because he's not the one here, Epaphras, brings the gospel to, to Colossae, and he comes to them, and he shares this good news, the gospel, the word of truth, the grace of God, getting what you don't deserve because of what Christ has done. This is really reminiscent of the parable of the sower. You think about Jesus in Mark, where he's talking about uh, the, the, the gospel is like, the, the kingdom of God is like a, a, a sower who goes around and spreads seed. And some, what does it say, goes to the path, lands on the path. And what happens to that seed? It's devoured by the bird, right? What about the rocky ground where it's, it, it sprang up quickly, but it was scorched because it didn't have any root? Or the seeds that landed in the thorns and, and it grew up, but it was choked out and it yielded no grain. And then finally, we see the good soil yielding 30 and 60 and 100 fold what was sown. So what, what can we learn here? Now there's, I think, some disagreement from, among people in that passage, in that example, who of those people are actually Christians. Obviously, if it landed on the path, they aren't Christians, right? They, there was no, nothing gave root. And there's those that would disagree about the rocky and the thorns that maybe they were Christians and, and just didn't grow. But then there's no doubt about the good soil. 
That is what a Christian life should look like. Whether you think that the rocky ground or the thorns were actually Christians or they just appeared to be Christians, they didn't actually have a root, they didn't actually have salvation, they just kind of went along with it. We've known those people, right? I've, I've experienced many in my life where friends that came to church, they stayed for a while and then they went away. And now these are people that maybe don't claim to follow God at all. Were they Christians? It's, it's between them and God and what is truly within their heart and their relationship with Him. But what do we see very clearly? Where the gospel, the seed of the gospel is sown, there should be what? Fruit. And I want you to think about that in your life. If you were to go to the store and you were to buy some seeds, you're going to, I'm going to have a garden this year, as we probably all at one point decided we were going to do. And some of you have probably been a lot more successful than I have. I have a very cute picture of Eliza holding a little watering pail where we had just planted our garden that we maybe got one tomato out of because we just didn't do a good job keeping the weeds out of it. And that's a different sermon in that one. But if you went to the store and you bought some seeds and you brought it home and you planted them, and then the time goes by, you water them, you take meticulous care and nothing happens. And you go back to the store, you say, listen, you gave me some bad seeds. Nothing grew. Oh, those seeds aren't supposed to grow. They're not supposed to bear any fruit. But they are the real thing. That's what they're supposed to do. You would feel a little bit taken advantage of. You would feel like you didn't get what you were supposed to get. When the gospel is present in our lives, it should bear fruit. There should be a bearing of fruit. And that's what we see here. That the gospel all across the world, and these people in the Colossians, it's bearing fruit among them. And in the whole world, it's increasing and bearing fruit among them. So when we spread, that's the first thing, the gospel should be spread like seeds. We should give it out to the world. We should share the gospel with others. But where the gospel is planted and it grows, there should be fruit. And that fruit will reproduce and will have yield 30, 60, 100 fold. That means that when a Christian produces fruit, it continues to spread. There are more and more, and it's a generational thing. The gospel should spread and the gospel should produce fruit. And this should be evidence in our lives. As we talked about reaching our potential, if you are a Christian, you should look at your lives, you should examine your fruit. And if you don't see it, you should seek to follow in obedience, to follow Him, to produce the fruit that you should produce. The next thing we see is that the gospel creates kinship. The gospel creates kinship. So at the very beginning of this, Paul, as he always does, introduces himself. And then the very first thing he says in verse 3, We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. So the Colossians have been saved. They become Christian. And what does that produce in them? They have love for all the saints. They love them. They're praying for them. There's this kinship. that This comes from their trust in the gospel. They realize and understand that if they have been saved, they have become an adopted son or daughter of God. They are now brothers and sisters in Christ with all believers. With everyone who bears the name of Christ, who has been saved by Christ, they are brothers and sisters with these people. This comes from their trust in the gospel, and it is not based upon other prerequisites. This is where things get difficult at times for us, and I think we, we struggle with these difficulties. Because in this world that Paul is working in, 
They are preaching the gospel. People are being saved. There is an identifiable church, but it is not fractured. It is fractured by time and distance. That's pretty much the only thing. They identify themselves as brothers and sisters of the church in churches in Colossae because they are far away. He's never been there, right? They, some of the journeys that they took that would take a day now or a couple hours in an airplane took them months. Treacherous journeys. So that was where the, the fracturing of the church was. But we look at our world today, and we have multiple churches of our denomination within our city. We have multiple churches of other denominations in our city. We have multiple churches across the world that will disagree on many things within denomination, outside of denomination. What do we see? If someone is in Christ, they are our brother and sister in Christ. And we are called to love them. And that's difficult at times because there are times when people have departed from the faith. Where people's disagreement over things go so far that they are no longer a Christian. Not that they have lost their salvation, but what they begin to teach is not Christianity. And the people that follow those things are not following Christianity. And so we have to be discerning, and it's okay to disagree with even our brothers and sisters that we definitely know our brothers and sisters. If you grew up with siblings, you know they don't always get along. But we have to love them. And our goal should be to pray for them, as we're going to get to, and to seek this kinship, this common bond that we have. We lay things aside for the sake of the gospel. But what often happens is infighting within the church. I think there are, are people in churches that spend more time focused on how they agree or disagree with each other or other Christians or other churches that they miss the point of the church, of spreading the gospel, of seeking to lead others to salvation. We have to have a love for all the saints. Now, here's the deal. There's lots of people that I believe have a relationship with Christ. I believe they have, because that's the thing, the prerequisite for knowing Christ is to genuinely know you're a sinner, to believe what Christ has done, and to confess Him as your Lord and Savior. To, that's, all, that's what it talks about. It doesn't say you have to have the right theology on this, the right theology on that. The goal is that Christ, if those people know Him through their sanctification, they will come to know the truth. And Paul prays for that later that they will come to have all the knowledge of God. But there's people that I disagree with greatly that I believe know Christ. They have a relationship with Him. And so I should love them. I should pray for them. I should seek to love them as a brother or sister in Christ. We also see that Paul has love for the Colossians because he has heard about their faith in the Gospel. It's this immediate thing here, right? Oh, you know, I've heard of this Paul guy. He's preaching the gospel. Let's pray for him because this is the Colossians. They know he's, do, they're, he's their brother in Christ. He's out doing God's work. Paul hears about the Colossians. Oh, there's a new church in Colossae. I'm going to pray for them. And I love them because they're my brothers and sisters in Christ. I think probably the way that this would be akin to is when you go to uh, a sporting event. It's one of the places where it happens probably, if we're honest, unfortunately, better than it happens often in the church. You go to a sporting event... And especially if it's in your home city, a big think of a big city that has a really 
big tradition of a sporting event, right? You go there, right? St. Louis and the Cardinals. You don't have to like the Cardinals, but people in St. Louis like the Cardinals. <laughs> and they go there. What do you see? Everywhere you look, what are you going to see? People wearing Cardinals jerseys. And they're going to sit together, and they're all going to be wearing Cardinals jerseys. And when, when someone hits a home run on their team, what are they all going to do? They're all going to cheer. And when someone on the other team does something good, what are they going to, they're going to do? They're going to be upset together, right? They come together. They don't know what they do. They don't know what they believe. They don't know what their politics are. They don't know any of these things. They lay it all aside to be Cardinals fans, right? Or whatever sport it might be. And so in the church, when we come together and we hear of our, our love for Christ, like, you know, I think that's that person that cut me off in traffic. But you know what? They love Christ, so I've got to forgive them for that. I've got to lay that aside. That person thinks a little different than, differently than me on this. They work for a, a competing company with me. I've got to lay it aside because we both love Christ, and that's what matters most. It doesn't become about all the other things. It's about loving Christ and our kinship with one another. We should love one another. It's a mark of our salvation. 1 John 3.14 says this, We know that we, we have passed out of death into life. How do we know that? Because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. We see this is also what Christ prayed for us. When he's going to be, uh, he's about to be betrayed, he's in the garden, he's praying to the Father. We get recorded what he prayed. This is what he prayed. He prayed for us. He prayed for you. If you're a believer, Christ prayed for you. I do not ask only for these. He prayed for the, the, the apostles first, the 12 disciples. I do not ask only for these, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So somewhere you are descended from the first believers through the lineage of our Christian faith. And so Christ is praying for you because you believed in through their word down the line. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This is what the Savior prayed for you, that you would be one. And so as we look at this, here's the deal. It's going to be hard to be one, to, to live as the family of Christ that we should. But here's where it starts. Here. In this church is the place where we start working on our kinship in Christ. Because we have literally gathered together physically to worship. We have said, I think it's important enough to go and sit and worship my Father. And these are the people we're worshiping with. You could have went other places today, but you came here. So when we work on our oneness in Christ, we start here. And so if there are people here that you don't like, which is possible, you've got to work on that. Because that's really, most likely, a both people issue. But it's also a you issue. Because the Bible tells us what, that we forgive as we've been forgiven. And so if you have issues with people need to be reconciled. As we've been reconciled to God, we reconcile with one another. We should be one in Christ. So if we want to journey on this to being one as the whole universal church, it starts here. And then we work on it through those that we can understand and agree with the most, through our association, through our fellow churches that are like-minded. We work together. You know how many times I saw churches get mad at each other? I've seen churches get mad at each other because they feel like they're competing with one another. That's so silly. That's, it's, it's, so, it's all about, that's, that's, not, that's pride. We are Christians. It doesn't matter where the members are. 
of the, of the kingdom of God, doesn't matter what zip code they're in, we're, we're in the body of Christ. So we shouldn't be fighting against ourselves. It's like punching yourself in the face. No, I don't want that guy to be in the eye. I want him to be in the hand. So I'm going to punch you in the eye. We should get along with one another that are most easily to get along with. And then we continue to work with and to seek to focus on the gospel with those we don't agree with. To pray for them. To pray, for, to pray that we will have any errors in our thinking revealed to us. And to pray that God will reveal any errors in their thinking to them. That when we all get to heaven and we are, the truth is, is made abundantly clear, we can be there and enjoy it. Because here's the deal. If there's anybody you would not like to see in heaven, or you'd be upset that they got there, that's a you problem. And you need to work on that. And so because of that, the gospel focuses our prayers. It focuses the way that we pray for people. I heard it said before, that too often our prayer times turn into organ recitals. So what I mean by that is we get together and we all just talk about what organs are ailing us, and we pray for those things. And that's a good thing. We should do that. When our brothers and sisters have a problem, a physical health problem, we should pray for that. But if that is the only thing that we're praying for, for one another, we are grossly underpraying for one another. Right? We see that, that Paul was concerned with Timothy's stomach issues. In his letter, it's ingrained in Scripture for us to read 2,000 years later that Timothy had a stomach issue and Paul was concerned about it and he was wanting to help him with it. But that's not the only, that was like a small part of Paul's conversation with Timothy. When, when Paul tells the Colossians what he's praying for, he didn't say, I don't see health mentioned there, which I know that he wants them to be healthy and to, to live in the Lord. But what's he concerned with? So we're going to get to that. What should we pray? We should not cease to pray for them. And I want you to keep in mind, too, the whole time we talk about this, Paul has not met these people. These aren't his best friends. These aren't people that he's gone through thick and thin with. These are people he's heard that they love Jesus. So he wrote a letter to them. And he has not ceased to pray for them from the day he heard about them. But what did he pray? He prayed that they would be filled with knowledge of his will, of God's will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. When we understand God's will, what God wants in our lives and for the world, it changes the way we interact with the world. If you know the objective of what you're pursuing, it changes the way that you interact with getting to that objective. And so he prays that they will know, they will have spiritual wisdom and understanding of His will. So that when they encounter things in their daily life, they understand how God would want them to interact with it. In reality, a simple way of putting this, He's praying that they will know the answer to the WWJD, the bracelets people used to wear. He's praying the Colossians will have the answer to that question without having to ask it. In every situation you encounter, what would Jesus want me to do? How does Jesus want me to interact with this? How does He want me to be an employee where I work? How does He want me to be a parent, a, a child, a friend? How does Christ want me to interact in these situations? What should I do? We ask that question. Paul's praying they would know the answer. I want you to have all spiritual wisdom and understanding of His will in your life. Why? So they can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing 
to Him. He wants them to understand what Jesus wants them to do so that when they walk through their life, when they live their life, it is one that is worthy of the Lord. We can all think of of times where people don't live lives that are worthy of what they're supposed to be doing. Where people are, are not doing what they should be doing. One of the, the common things I've heard recently is if you were to be put on trial for being a Christian, would, it, would you be convicted? If you're walking in a way that's worthy of the Lord, it should be very evident that you are following the Lord. Because you're walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, you're going to be doing what? You're going to be bearing fruit in every good work. So you should be walking a pure and upright life that is holy, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. This is the next thing he prays for them. To bear fruit. Because if the gospel seed has been truly planted within you, you should bear fruit. It should be very evident in your life. Increasing in every good work. And this is where we see we don't earn our salvation. We don't keep our salvation. Salvation is through Christ and Christ alone. Faith in what He has done. But if you have been saved, you will do good works. That is the fruit that you produce. And continuing to increase in the knowledge of God. The more you know about Him, the more you will love Him and understand what He has done for you. That's why we have to constantly preach the gospel to ourselves. That's why we constantly have to try to learn about Him, to understand the One who has saved us. The more we know, the more we realize how holy and powerful He is and how sinful we are, the more clear to us it becomes how grateful we should be. So we want to, he prays that they increase in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. I want you to think about the one writing this letter, Paul. He was killing Christians. He was going about his life seeking to persecute the church. Goes to the point where he is beat nearly to death at least one time. Left for dead. Survives terrible, treacherous journeys to churches. Is imprisoned for his faith. Is writing this letter, I believe, from, from prison for his faith. And is ultimately martyred for his faith. Where does that come from? Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. The power of God manifests in the life of Paul is what helps him to do the things that he's doing for God. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that lives within believers, God will empower us to do the things that he calls us to do. To stand firm when we in our flesh would walk away, when we would give in. God gives us His power to live the life He calls us to live. That's what He's praying for the Colossians. Praying for endurance, that they will endure these hardships with patience and joy. That through all their trials, through all the tribulations they'll face, all the difficulties, they'll be patient and joyful. One of the things we talked about in Sunday school, if you are a Christian... You shouldn't be solemn all the time. You should be very happy and joyful. Because you have the best thing that could ever be given to you. And so as you go through your life, you should just be excited and happy and joyful because nothing that happens to you can take that away from you. Giving thanks to the Father. He's praying that they'll give thanks to the Father through this endurance and patience who has qualified you to inheritance 
and the saints of light. And at the end of this, this is where we got to that point about the gospel. All this he's praying that he, they will do this, giving thanks to God because of what he's done for them. That's why I have to remember it. Because that's the only way we're going to be focused on what we're called to do is to remember the gospel. So this is what Paul's prayer for the Colossians looks like. It's a powerful prayer. It is the prayer that, just like we talked about last week, that what God has done, this justification, this salvation that's happened, will come to completion, or as close to completion in their lifetime as it can, that they will progress in the faith. That's what we talked about Wednesday, sanctification. You're justified, made right before God, and sanctified, made to look like Him. God calls you righteous when you're saved, and through the rest of your life, He makes you righteous when you walk in obedience to Him. You become what He's already declared you to be in Christ Jesus. So this is how we should pray for those we're closest to. That's what I said. It starts here with the kinship. We should pray for one another like this. That, they will, that we will know Christ. That we'll know what His will for us is. That we will grow in knowledge of His will. That we'll grow in our knowledge of Him, our love for Him, and our patience that will walk holy lives pleasing to Him, that will bear fruit in everything that we do, being strengthened to do what God calls us to do with endurance and patience and joy. So we should pray that for one another. We should still pray for each other when we have ailments and sicknesses and things that, are, that we're worried about. We should surely absolutely do that. But we should absolutely be praying this way for each other. And then we should pray for, for those that are in our lives that way, those in our other believers in local churches and across the world. I want you to think about that. There's been various people, various interactions that this church has had that are on mission across the world. Nick and Melissa Scott. He preached here before, before he, they left to go to Japan. Why did they go to Japan? To preach the gospel. To spread the seed of the gospel. So we should pray for them, not just pray they're doing okay. Pray this for them, that they'll be equipped. Pray for Mary Jo's daughter in Africa. For the church that we've partnered with and gone to in, in New York, in Rochester. Pray that this will happen for them. We, you may not have ever known them. You may not ever have met them. You may not have ever seen them. Paul didn't either. We pray those things for one another. It's focusing our prayers because of the gospel, intentional. So as we come to this time, I want you to think about how you pray for your fellow believers. Who you pray for. And I want to challenge you for your prayers and your attitude toward one another to look a little bit more like Paul's. That, that all believers you know, if they know Christ, you love them because they are your brother and sister in Christ. If they don't know Christ, you should be trying to share the gospel with them, because the gospel produces fruit, and that you should be praying for one another. And as we enter this time, I want to challenge you with that, and I also want to challenge you to consider your life and whether you know the gospel. Have you preached it to yourself recently? Do you consistently remind yourself of what Christ has done for you? Let me ask you this. Do you know Christ this morning? You may be sitting here and everything I'm saying sounds so impossible to do because you don't have a relationship with Christ in the first place. Do you know Christ this morning? 
Have you become convicted of your sin? Have you known that your sin has separated you from Him? But God has loved you so much that He has, that, that Christ came, bore your sin, died on the cross for you so that you could be made right with Him. And then if you will admit that you are a sinner, believe that Christ died on the cross for you, took your sin, and if you will confess Him as your Lord and Savior, you can be saved. If you have not done that in your life, I would challenge you that today is the day to do that because you cannot reach your potential with God. You cannot be in relationship with Him until you first accept the gift of salvation that's been given to you. So at this time, as, as Becky comes and we have this time of invitation, reflect on where you are. The altar will be open and I will be down front for prayer if you have any questions. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank You for this day that you've given us, this time that we can come together and we can just look at what your word says to us, about what it means to have a relationship with you, about the, the kinship that creates among all believers, and about how we should pray for one another. God, I pray that during this time you would convict each of us where we are, what, what we need to do based off of what your word says to us this morning. And that we wouldn't, be, we wouldn't hesitate in being obedient to you. That we would seek you today. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this sermon has been a blessing to you today. If you have any questions about what you've heard, we would love to hear from you through our church Facebook page, email, or by calling the church office.